Well, welcome to church again, as I've said, and thanks to the team for worship and communion. Today, we're meeting in the shadow, if you like, of a very different experience of Anzac Day and would like to take this opportunity to thank and respect all those who've served in our armed forces uh, in the past and in the present, and we value them very highly and pay our respects to them today. We owe so much to those who've fought for us uh, and fought for the freedom that we so often take for granted and only become aware of in seasons like we're in right now. And, you know, it's very biblical for that sort of a standard to thank and to live from those who've gone before us and, and those who've given their lives for those who'll come after them in the, in the hope that their experience of life will be different to the one that they're experiencing at the time. So thanks to all those in our armed services today. And so today, I'll, for better or for worse, we're finding ourselves in a different space again in this whole phase of the COVID uh, crisis uh, many of us may not even feel that it is a crisis anymore. It's now, it's just, well, it's just life. And what we've done is begun to enter into a phase which is sort of post-trauma and sort of in the aftermath of that trauma, but we're not in the future yet either. It's sort of a temporary routine. But many of us now are finding a bit of a rhythm to that. It's like we've found a settledness in this uncomfortable space that's somewhere stuck between that which was and that which is coming, the future that we're not quite sure about yet, and we don't know when it's coming, and we find ourselves now just getting by day to day in that space. And you know, for most of us, that's the actual anxiety that we feel. That's the stress that we're under. Because in the West, we're more used to working to a goal. We'll undergo almost any hardship as long as we know where the end point is. Point us to the horizon, show us where we've got to go, and we'll find a way there. But we suffer a lot of anxiety in our hearts if we don't know what's ahead, if we don't know when, if we don't know where. And this becomes a real problem for us. And so Western thinking shows a real frailty there. We've been trained for a couple of centuries now to think in terms of a goal and a solution. We look for what we want or we, we look for what we need and we set ourselves the path of finding it. We look to the horizon, we find the point, and, and then we just aim that way. And we've developed our thinking, our culture, our results, our metrics for, for performance, all those sorts of things around goals and strategies. But if we hit days like this where some days we don't accomplish anything, we can get very agitated, very anxious inside. And we're more challenged then by the uncertainty of life than we are by the hardship of life. And it might surprise you that there's actually a better way to think, particularly in times like this. And we often see it in the biblical cultures of the Old and New Testament. And it may surprise you that that way of thinking may be a little bit better at times than the Western way of thinking. Eastern cultures, uh, and when I say Eastern, for us, it's really Western. They're, they're West of us. We're talking about the Middle East and, and uh, Central Asia and so on. They had a mindset, they had a way of looking at the world that was much more about the potential of a landscape than a, a spot on the horizon that we aim for. Their aim was to maximise the potential that the present offers. They would look at the landscape all around them and say, what opportunities are there? Um, if they were in a Christian culture or a godly culture, they'd say, what opportunities, what's God saying about here and, and now? What's he presenting? How do we maximise that? And it's a very different way of thinking than we do in the West, where it's just all about point and shoot. We've got to go in a certain direction. Because life doesn't always present a dot on the horizon. And we're stuck in that place now where we just don't know what's coming and when. Think of the Anzacs that we just mentioned. They were 
often called to jump out of a trench and they, they just didn't know where this was going to end. They didn't know whether there would be a tomorrow. They didn't know whether they're in an hour's time they'd be mortally wounded, whether they'd get through, whether their friends would get through. It's just all about uncertainty. But think more frequently to those in our current day, in our current situation. Those with serious illness, for example, where there's been no clear promise of healing uh, and they're stuck in that in-between space. What's it going to turn out like? And the anxiety of the uncertainty can be debilitating for hope and optimism and a, a reason to exist. What about another example, the single person who's wondering, will I meet that person one day that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And it's like they have no control over that. They just, do I take whoever comes along or do I, you know, what do I do there? And the, and the stress of that anxiety can take up so much internal energy and so much stress that it becomes debilitating in itself. Think of the widowed person who's lost their spouse, unsure of how they're going to get through in life. Think of those amongst us now who have just lost their job or who had lost their jobs prior to this crisis. They have to go through, do I change careers now? Am I going to be okay? Am I ever going to enter the workplace again? And all these stresses of being stuck in that middle place just amplify what is already a difficult situation and make it many times worse. So when we're stuck in this liminality space, uh, it's healthier to scan for opportunities, not for outcomes. And let me explain that word liminality. It's a bit like being, if you think of an elevator going up and down, you can be in one space and the elevator's going there, but that, when you're walking between the floor and the elevator door, it's like liminality. You're not there and you're not there yet. And we often engage these liminal space, and that's where we get the word laminate from. It's multi-layered. It's where we, we, the past is no longer valid for us, but the future isn't either. And so we're stuck in between and navigating these in-between spaces. Uh, the whole concept of, say, deserts and wildernesses in Scripture, they're talking about liminal spaces. How do we exist when we're stuck in the middle in the in-between? And the most qu common questions that come from us in those sort of spaces is, God, what now? Or where are we going? What's this all about? We want some clarity. And often it's the most uh, least answered prayer that we can pray. Because these are the moments where it's time to lean into faith. Now it's time to follow moment by moment, not have a dream for what's going to happen in five years' time because it's so clear, and then just work towards that. And today I want to look back on the experience of Daniel the prophet from the Old Testament as I started to a few weeks ago. And Daniel's life in this instant was a case of constant liminality, constant change, constant uncertainty. Most of the time, this guy, I'm sure, wasn't sure whether he would be alive in a month's time. Uh, empires changed around him, kings, the tempers of kings, and so on. But we look back at Daniel's story and we hold him up and, and think, well, this story of Daniel, it, it's inevitable. But there's a great quote that says, that which is impossible in retrospect looks inevitable. The story that we look back with Daniel, with the, the lion's den and the fiery furnace and the, the visions and, and so on, we look at that as a, as a fine thread that was just an inevitable story for this guy. But for him, he literally didn't know what tomorrow's page held. And so it was a constant walk of faith. But his walk was very much with this Eastern mindset of what does the landscape present me and how do I work through my life and my purpose found in that space. And we pick it up in chapter 2 of, of Daniel. And Daniel has just woken up to a brand new nightmare. Someone's banging on the door. He goes to the door and there's all the armed guards of the king and they're going to arrest him. And they pretty much declare they're going to kill him and all his friends. And, uh, and every, what they used to call wise men or mystics or seers, 
uh, in the land. What had happened was the king had, uh, had a dream and he got all the mystics in to say, I need you guys to interpret the dream. They'd said, well, tell us a dream and we'll do that. And he said, no, I'm on to you. If you're really who you say you are, you can tell me the dream and the interpretation and then you'll have the credibility for me to believe it. Because this is a high stakes game. And kings like Nebuchadnezzar, this king, you've got to think this isn't uh, like a democratic ruler. There was no democracy back then. The whole place was run like an empire from ultimate and absolute power on the whim and the mood of this single man. And so he's gotten up in a bad mood. And so now when he coughs, the whole world sneezes, so to speak. And so people are going to lose their lives because of this one issue. He's lost his cool with all the mystics and he's saying, well, you're all no good. I'm going to flush the whole lot. And so that's where we pick up the story in Daniel. And it says in Daniel chapter 2 from 12 to 15. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, and try and remember that. His response to a crisis there was prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So now just think for a moment, what activated that incredibly prudent question of Daniel's why is the decree of the king so urgent? Now, obviously, as I've said, it's this Asian way of thinking. It's looking for the landscape. What he's doing, he's drilling down. And rather than doing what you and I would do, we would say, hang on, there's a point in the horizon. I want to run to that right now. I need to escape. I need to guard my life. You've got to think, these guys, the lifespan, the average age in these days was something like 30, 35 years of age. Uh, life was a lot cheaper in those days. And so it was really more about maximizing and finding purpose in every moment. So here he is in a moment. And whereas we would want to run, he's now looking for opportunity. So he drills down. And with this guy at his doorstep with the sword in his hand, he he's, has enough thought to ask the question, why does this matter? Why is this important? What's really going on here? Give me the backstory. You know, before you kill me, can I know why? And, uh, when we're stuck in this sort of in-between space with an un uncertain future, it really pays to do what he seemed to do reflexively. For us, we would need to train, but we need to commit ourselves to finding out what really matters now. And you can tune in after this message to uh, the book of Daniel chapter 2 and see how this all pans out. But ultimately, uh, just by taking the time to ask the question and then going back to God for the answer to the question of what really matters, the whole world pivots on its axis. The power that's found in not looking too far ahead, but just saying, Father, what are you doing? What are you saying? What opportunities are there that are right before me are incredibly powerful. And so asking about what is urgent and about what is important is where this power is found. And when we're considering in this space, and you may be in that liminal space, um, we need to really seek of God and, and ask of him, Lord, what's important now? And this importance is the starting point of purpose. Because the path to our destiny, the path to finding real purpose in life is marked by stones of what is important in life. They're the stepping stones. If we can find out those very few things in life that really matter, rather than saying, here's my goal, here's my dream, here's what I want, I want to accomplish in life. If we instead let our focus be a little bit more present and saying what really matters to this world, you'll find those stepping stones lead us to what becomes, in retrospect, the inevitability 
of our calling. See, we might think it's a dream or a goal, but it's really our destiny is found in us being who we are, where it matters. And that's the big point. See, Daniel would have dreamed, his, his fleshly dream, if you will, would be back at Jerusalem. His desires for life, all he had known before this point was the temple. The, the highest level of his calling would have been, I just want to be a scribe. I just want to be in God's house and worship there. But the situation, this crisis that he finds himself in, leads him to a more fulfilled destiny that impacts the world. And if Daniel had tried to run back to what his preference would have said, we would not have the history that we have now. Four kings and empires would have gone in very different directions. So let's focus now back together about what's important to you, what's important now, what's important to the world right now. Think of our situation, because the urgency of a crisis often robs us of addressing what's important. I know Daniel's terminology where he says, why is this so urgent? And you may be aware of the, the diagram that, that illustrates what's urgent, what's important, what's non-urgent, what's non-important. And in a crisis time, what we'll often do is just react to the urgent. But what's just as valuable is that which is important. Indeed, we need to spend most of our time addressing what's important and, and needed in life rather than just reacting. But now that we've come out of this crisis, now that we're in this middle ground waiting for the next day, now we need to come back and remind ourselves what really matters. What am I doing now? Now that I've got a buffer of time and space and energy, now that I'm in a routine, am I doing what matters or am I just floating because I, I don't have to respond to a crisis now. And so we need to look again at managing our life and getting in place the things that really matter. On a personal sense, we need to be exercising, we need to be connecting with friends, we need to be praying, we need to be worshipping God. In a crisis, we, those things are often the first thing to go and they're seen as a luxury. Well, they're not a luxury, they're important, they never cease to be important. And now we need to make sure the framework of our life encompasses those. So all of us are in this coronavirus season and we're, we're in this middle moment but amongst us and amongst those that are watching today there's another middle ground there's another moment that you're in you're between careers you're between relationships you're you're between certainty you just don't know how life's going to go and this can become even more debilitating for your soul and so I want to bring this to you and say well now's the time to look at what is on the landscape of your life because you're the Reality of your purpose is lived out right now, not one day on the horizon. What matters now? What opportunities are there for you now? And so one of the first and easiest things to drop off, and I really wanted to highlight this as one issue that is important for us, is that of thankfulness. Because when we move from crisis to considering the important, often the last thing we do is remember to be thankful for what God's done and what God's given us and, and who we have around us. And, and we just, we lose that. And so we find ourselves getting into a depression. We get ourselves low emotionally because we've forgotten uh, how blessed we are and how many things we have in this moment, even if it is just the next breath, even if it is the next meal. And just appreciate that. Be thankful for the people around us and so on. Because when we get through the scrambling, we'll find ourselves naturally going just that little bit flat. And so this needs to be reignited. We need to reignite our hearts now in this middle space through thankfulness. Obviously, I love that Psalm 100 verse 4 it talks about the pathway into the temple. And these days for us, it's, it's likening to the, the pathway into an experience of God's presence. That's our New Testament reality. 
How do I re-engage with God's presence? Because you may be feeling like he's not there now. He was there with me through the crisis, but now that, now that we're in this middle space, it's like, well, where's God and, and what's he saying? And the pathway back into that, through, uh, in Psalm 100 verse 4, says, We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And this is way more profound than you'd think one little verse would give it credit for. But when we come into God's presence, we come into God's presence with thankfulness. There's something about thanking God for what he's done rather than focusing on what he hasn't done that ignites renewal. It ignites passion and it reinvigorates our soul to be in a space where we can consider again what he has for us to do. And I love the fact that Daniel, uh, after he'd recognized the crisis, he went to prayer, he got his friends to pray. They got through that moment, but the first thing he did, even before he went to the king, was he thanked God. He, he really thanked God with all his heart. And as for me, one of the, the best passages in Daniel is the prayer of overflowing thankfulness from a person who, in reality, is still in the middle of their crisis, and yet find a way to recognize God is here, he's with me, he's able to provide, and he has the answers to the problems of what really matters. And he says this in uh, chapter 2, 20 to 23. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So what I'd love to do now, just to help activate that, and you've been so good at this in the comments, and uh, it really lifts our spirits, is to really think on and put in the comments, what are we thankful for? What are the things? You may not have said it enough. You may not have said it at all, certainly not to the people around you. Maybe now it's time to start that. Why not right now, as we begin now, to, we're going to enter into a, a time of just reflection through another song of worship. Why don't we spend that time before God and just think, what is it that I have to be thankful for? And start to uh, express that. And sometimes it's easier to express it in words through a keyboard than it is with our mouths. So why don't we do that now as we enter into a time of reflection? Just fill the stream, fill Facebook with all the things that we have to be thankful for. Let's enjoy that together.
Welcome back. Wasn't that fantastic? I want you to think about this. Has life locked you down in some way? Has life conspired to get you stuck in the middle? The reality is your inconvenience is God's opportunity. The thing that's going wrong for you, the frustration of being stuck in that vice, which we've all experienced, I've found through hard practice and through the more and more I read the stories of Scripture, this is your moment. This is God's opportunity to actually fulfill what your destiny is. See, God may strip away our luxury to highlight that which is vital, that which is important, as we've been saying. Think of the story for a moment of the Good Samaritan that Jesus highlighted when he was trying to uh, emphasize who is our neighbor. This guy was walking down the road and, and he's confronted with an inconvenient thing. God's people have sort of walked past. It didn't fit their grid. They had all the learning. They had all the experiences. They knew what to do with being religious but that had actually masked the higher purpose of addressing the need, and that was Jesus' point. And so the Samaritan comes down, he's on a path, and he's just confronted with this. So what's his purpose? What's his calling? It's to meet the need that's right there and right now. And this is really how we begin to work it out too. You see, Daniel would never have found what turned out to be the hot core of his purpose and mission if he had not been inconvenienced the way that he was. And a life, if he'd have been stuck back in Jerusalem, comfortable with the right food and the right friends, this life that we experience is, is sort of like that. There's many options and it lulls us into a complacency. It lulls us into being lukewarm. It, it somehow distracts us away because we live in what are the options rather than what really matters. And it's the actual, what he went through was like a personal nightmare. Every day was just an unfolding of a new nightmare as he went along. But it was the very presence of that nightmare that brought out who he really was and gave him the opportunity to take who he was and address what matters most. And that becomes what we look back and say that was his inevitable calling. But for him, he was choiceless. He was locked down. And this nightmare for a Hebrew, it was very real. If you read the Psalms, there's one of them has this phrase that Boney M made a hit song out of that says, By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we mourned for Zion. When they left Jerusalem, it was like their life was over. They couldn't comprehend that a Hebrew could not be in their homeland. 
And yet that was his experience day in, day out. It takes what we're experiencing now and makes it look very small indeed. And yet it was in that place, that hardship where he was choiceless, that God seemed to work out the most profound aspects of calling. The difficulty forced Daniel face to face with his calling. And I wonder if you've crashed into your purpose too. I wonder if life in this time, whether it's because of COVID or something else, has just forced you face first into what is your actual calling. You thought it was about something else. You might have had another dream, but life has disrupted that. And your choice has been taken out of the way. But this actually may be your moment. This may be the stepping stone of your calling. What you see as inconvenient may well turn around to become your calling. And I can testify that's exactly what happened in my life over so many years. But perhaps you've had rebellious teenagers, for example. And it's so often it's, it's that experience that starts ministries of building bridges with youth and building better experiences for youth. It's exposure to poverty, for example, that burns a person's heart for social justice. It's marriage breakdown that, that's catalyzed so many ministries uh, to restore marriages and to restore those who've been through that sort of experience. And some of us are face-to-face right now with things like that. Sometimes it is face-to-face. Sometimes it's not face-to-face, but it's just always there. It's a bit like a thorn in your side that nags and you know you should address it. But the options of life give you every, every reason to not go there. Uh, things like generosity, things like mission that we've begun to talk about as well. And there are just some things in life that we are always exposed to. And there just comes a moment where we just need to say, I need to get on with this. I need to do this. And mission's one of those. Discipleship is one of those. Jesus has made very clear that the green light is there to do these things. And with all the options in life and all the comfort that we have, sometimes we go, well, let's do a study on that. And we come back to Jesus and we say, well, look, I know I remember what you said. And and we had a home group about that. and, And I found an app that will talk about that even more. I know it in the Greek. And we come back to him with that sort of logic, but he's just saying, just do it. It's just time to do it. And we're entering now into a time at our church where we're beginning to discuss and then go beyond discussing the whole idea of mission, where we create opportunities for every single person to have a viable and real experience to engage in mission. And so this is one of those things. It's time to stop doing Bible studies about it and time to just start to do it. And so I just really pray in this moment where we're stuck on the in-between, that we can start to look at these sorts of things, that we can say, this isn't just something I know about. This is a value for me. I'm going to commit my life to engaging in that. And so I wonder what it is for you. I wonder if you're in any sort of advice or maybe it's that thorn in the side. I wonder what it is that God wants to speak to you and it's time to address, time to take action, time to realise that your destiny, your calling and your finest moment of purpose is actually today. What matters? What's important? What needs to be done, whether we feel like it or we don't? I can imagine Daniel didn't really feel like doing much of anything that he was called to do. It wasn't about what he was drawn to. It's about doing what really matters. And so today, as we just finish up now with another song of worship and reflection, I just ask that as we we listen to that and we reflect in God's presence together in your own homes, in your own situation, that you'd allow God's whispers just to talk into your heart, to remind you of what matters, who matters, the people around you, the people that you can see, the people you can't see, where no one is bringing their voice to you and maybe considering again and saying, Father, 
I'm in and going where he wants you to go. Let's come into God's presence now in worship. Bless you.